This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, new advice on whether you should take that whole course of antibiotics. Experts at the time were writing things like, we treat until the patient feels better, and then another couple of days to prevent relapses. The root of the urban legend itself seems to reflect a misunderstanding of what was happening at the time. Conventional wisdoms on medications overthrown. Radio Health Journal National Kidney Month is a good time to learn about how to protect your kidneys. For example, maintaining a healthy weight is especially important for people who have or are at risk for kidney disease. But how do you do that? Lauren Gleason, Senior Director of Nutrition Services for Fresenius Kidney Care, has some tips. Focus on eating more fresh, unprocessed foods, including fresh fruits and vegetables, fresh meats, and unrefined carbohydrates, such as brown rice. Be sure to include good fats like olive and canola oil and some protein with every meal to help you feel fuller, longer. People with kidney disease should consult their doctor or dietitian about some fresh foods that may be hard for their kidneys to handle, such as bananas and citrus fruits or too much protein. And here are some tricks. Keep healthy foods at eye level in the pantry and fridge with less healthy foods out of sight. And choose smaller plates. You'll eat less. Losing just 5% of your body weight, even if you're still overweight, can reduce your blood pressure and thus your risk for kidney disease. Talk to your doctor before starting any diet or exercise program. Find out more at FreseniusKidneyCare.com. Perhaps nothing has changed medicine more over the last century than the advent of antibiotics. Given the toll exacted by infectious diseases before the drug's availability, antibiotics may have seemed almost too good to be true. Antibiotics have been around now for about 80 years. And when they first came along, there were enormous, enormous declines in death from infections. In fact, frankly, antibiotics were really the first effective therapy that modern physicians had. That's Dr. Brad Spellberg, chief medical officer at the Los Angeles County University of Southern California Medical Center. The problem with them is that because of transmission of resistance, the more we use them, the faster we lose them. For many years, resistance would catch up with our current antibiotics and the pharmaceutical industry would go back to the drawing board and bring out the next generation of gorillacillin. But that equation is beginning to change. It's not financially attractive to invest in new development of antibiotics. The science has become hard. The stuff that's easy to discover, we've already discovered. So it's getting increasingly difficult to find the next generation of antibiotic. And what that means, we're not getting bailed out anymore. And because of that, resistance rates are rising through the roof and death rates from the resistant infections are going up and we're seeing patients that we simply can't treat. Overuse of antibiotics is driven by how doctors have prescribed them. Remember getting prescriptions for two weeks' worth of antibiotics and then being told to take all of them, even if you felt better before then? It's what every patient was told for decades. When antibiotics first came on the scene, the general notion of all those doctors 60 and 70 years ago was We'd better be sure that the infection is treated. Dr. William Schaffner is an infectious disease specialist at the Vanderbilt Medical Center in Nashville. And so the duration of therapy tended to be rather longish. And for the average infection, urinary tract infection, bladder infection, and, you know, simple pneumonia, 10 days to two weeks was thought to be appropriate. And perhaps we are going to give antibiotics a a little longer just to be sure we've cured the infection because back then 
people weren't sure how quickly antibiotics could cure infection. Experts at the time were writing things like, we treat until the patient feels better, and then another couple of days to prevent relapses. Turns out that they weren't actually preventing relapses, they were preventing infections by a new strain of bacteria. So the root of the urban legend itself seems to reflect a misunderstanding of what was happening at the time. So we have this sort of duration creep that happened, and because of this sort of urban legend, people said, well, just keep going until you're done, even if it's two weeks, even if you felt better at day five, which is complete nonsense. In fact, Spellberg says medicine sort of fell into its prescribing courses. The standard duration of treatments for most infections is really based on a 1,695-year-old decree from Constantine the Great. He decided there would be seven days in a week. So when we picked durations of therapy, we thought, oh, it's going to get 14 days. Why 14? Well, that's two Constantine units. If Constantine had picked four days in a week, we'd be treating for eight days. It's extremely arbitrary how we decide how long to treat. Heeding an urban legend based on an arbitrary calendar is no way to practice medicine. But doctors back in the 40s and 50s just wanted to kill the infection. They didn't think much about bacterial resistance. In fact, Schaffner says the original belief was that resistance was rare. But in reality, bacteria are built for it. They've been using their own antibiotics on each other in a big way for millennia. Antibiotics were invented by bacteria, probably on the order of about 2 billion years ago with a bee. And they've been killing each other with these weapons for 20 million times longer than we've even known they exist. So what that tells us is that already widespread in nature are resistance mechanisms that will create resistance to drugs we haven't yet even invented. When we use an antibiotic, what we do is we kill off the susceptible bacteria and we leave behind the very tiny amounts of bacteria that were already resistant so that they can replicate and spread their resistance mechanisms. So it's not that resistance emerges anew when you use an antibiotic, it's that you select out for pre-existing resistance. And that means the more you use, the more resistance you will select for. The antibiotics rather quickly kill the bacteria that are susceptible and the very few that are there genetically disposed to be resistant, they then have an opportunity to grow up and become more prominent. And certainly what we've learned is the more antibiotic you use, the longer you use antibiotics, the more likely it is that these resistant bacteria will flourish and become dominant. That's why Schaffner and Spellberg say the next time you go to the doctor with an upper respiratory infection or some other bacterial malady, you may get different instructions than we've been getting for decades. Doctors are now likely to prescribe a shorter course of antibiotics than they used to. The trick would be to treat just as long as is necessary in order to treat the infection, but not a day longer, because then it's not useful. And the additional antibiotic, that extra day or two, would only serve then to create more resistance. In the last 10 years or so, we have begun to conduct clinical trials that compare different durations of therapy. And in virtually, not quite all, but in virtually all of those trials, the shorter course regimens have worked just as well as longer courses. So we know that we can begin to shorten. Now, I know that if I have a patient with a kidney infection, if 
five to seven days of antibiotics is going to work just as well as 14. What about three days? We don't know. We haven't done that trial yet. So the mantra really has become shorter is better. Now, if I give you a five-day course of antibiotics for your skin infection, it's pretty unlikely you're going to be feeling enormously better much before day five. If I gave you a 14-day course, you could feel better by day five or six and have a whole week of therapy left that was a complete waste. Some of the differences in the length of treatment that works versus what's been traditionally prescribed are truly striking. Urinary tract infections, bladder infections, these are very, very common. And we used to give treatment for a week or week and a half. Well, it's remarkable for uncomplicated infections, that is where there's nothing anatomic that's also a problem. We can now know that we can treat those infections for only two days. And not only does the patient feel better, but the infection is completely treated. In most cases, when we've looked at it, we've been able to show that shorter courses are equally effective. Dr. Lou Rice is chairman of the Department of Medicine at the Warren Alpert Medical School of Brown University. He's often credited with being the first to call long prescribing regimens into question. In the hospital, there have been a couple of different important pneumonia studies, one showing that three days of therapy is equivalent to what on the average was nine days and had less resistance. Another shortened therapy from 15 days down to eight days for people on ventilators. There was a recent study about a year ago that looked at intra-abdominal infections that showed that a shorter course was effective. Back in 2006, there was a study published from Europe that showed that community pneumonia, a course of three days, was equivalent to a seven- or eight-day course. But it's even more than that. Some doctors may even tell you to quit taking your medication when you feel better, even if you have pills left over. Then I can have the discussion with you. Look, I'm going to give you five days of antibiotics for your skin infection. If day three or four comes along and it's gone, give me a call and we can talk about stopping early. If it's not that serious an infection, it's probably not a terrible idea to tell the patient and when you're feeling better, it's probably okay to stop the antibiotic. Most mild infections are like that. You can just give a couple of days of antibiotics. Many of the antibiotics we have achieve very good levels in the body relatively quickly. They kill bacteria fairly quickly, and most people have an immune system. Many of the antibiotics we give don't actually kill bacteria. They just keep them from multiplying, and it's the immune system that actually takes care of it. But one person's robust immune system may be another's weak immunity, so doctors can never be sure how many days are enough for any given person. And Rice says some physicians are hesitant to shorten courses very much. More studies into how many days are required for different kinds of infections will continue to be important. The National Institutes of Health in this country are now sponsoring a number of studies, very grateful to them for it, that are looking at durations and other things as well. I mean, what would really be nice is if we could identify some other test, some blood test that could tell us, okay, you don't need antibiotics anymore. Because for the same infection, you know, I may need three days, you may need four, somebody else may need seven, somebody else may be cured after one. There's such a different interplay of the nature of the infection, the nature of the bacteria, the strength of somebody's immune system. 
that all comes into it. So it's really naive to think that with as varied a population as we have, you're going to have everybody needing only this number of doses. And not only is the issue of bacterial resistance important, but the longer the course of antibiotics, the more likely are side effects. Rice says that it's a worthwhile discussion to have with your doctor to ask, how much do I really need to cure this? If enough of us do that, Schaffner says it could put a sizable dent into resistance. There have been a number of studies that would encourage us if we are more prudent about the use of antibiotics, using them for shorter periods of time and not using them in circumstances where the infection is not going to respond, a viral infection, for example. Viruses don't respond to antibiotics. If we study populations over time, we can see that the bugs are restored to their susceptibility. So resistance in that population of bacteria is reduced. So it's as though we were turning back the clock. But if we don't protect the antibiotics we have, Spellberg says the stakes are extremely high. We risk losing the gains made from effective antibiotics. Those gains would include probably about a 20-year average increase in lifespan, the availability of intensive surgeries, which you could not do because of lethal infections before antibiotics. Cancer chemotherapy would kill people from the infections without antibiotics organ transplantation, care for premature babies. There's a whole variety of medical interventions, the availability of which depends on having antibiotics to combat the infections that result. You can find out more about all of our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.net. You can also find archives of our programs there, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm Reed Pence. Radio Health Journal returns with medical notes in just a moment. As we age, changes in vision can be much more serious than a need for stronger glasses. Without treatment, diseases like cataracts, glaucoma, or age-related macular degeneration can lead to blindness. But many seniors haven't had an eye exam in some time. Ophthalmologist Dr. John Berdahl says Eye Care America can help. The American Academy of Ophthalmology's Eye Care America program is designed for medically underserved seniors who haven't been to an ophthalmologist in three or more years. Eligible patients are matched with a nearby volunteer ophthalmologist for a comprehensive medical eye exam and up to one year of care for any disease diagnosed during the initial visit, often at no cost. Launched in 1985, Eye Care America is one of the largest public service programs in American medicine. Find out if you, your friends, or family members are eligible. Visit aao.org slash eyecareamerica. That's aao.org slash eyecareamerica. Medical Notes this week. People who have gone to the hospital for treatment of a mental health disorder have an increased risk of stroke for months afterward. A study presented to the International Stroke Conference in Houston shows that people going to the hospital for psychiatric disorders like depression, anxiety, and PTSD have triple the risk of a stroke in the next month and double the risk for the next year or more. Scientists speculate that mental illness may provoke the body's fight-or-flight mechanism, which can raise blood pressure and stroke risk. Early risers may be healthier than people who sleep in. A study in the journal Obesity shows that early birds tend to eat more balanced diets than night owls. 
They also eat earlier in the day, which helps with weight loss and lowers the risk of diabetes and heart disease. And finally, many Americans are working from home at least part of the time, and a new poll shows we like it that way. However, a little bit of office camaraderie is a good thing. The Gallup survey finds that 43% of employees work remotely at least part of the time, and that the most engaged workers are those who spend three to four days a week working from home. People who work in the office all the time or at home all the time are the least engaged employees. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment. Colorectal cancer is the second leading cancer killer in the United States. Unlike many other cancers, it can be prevented with screening. That's why the American Society for Gastrointestinal Endoscopy is asking people to embrace the theme of PrEP, Scope, Live. According to ASGE President Ken McQuaid, age is the most important risk factor. Everyone should be screened for colorectal cancer starting at age 50, or even earlier for people with other risk factors. Colonoscopy is the most effective screening test and the only one that can actually prevent colon cancer. Now, for many people, the hardest part about a colonoscopy is showing up, and the first step to making that happen is to make your appointment. So please, get it scheduled now. Then, buddy up with a friend and agree to drive each other to your colonoscopies. I promise you, you and the people who care about you will be glad you did. Find out more about getting screened and why it's important at screenforcoloncancer.org. That's screen, the number four, coloncancer.org. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.